Welcome to episode 155 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend. Joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And this is something that both you and I, Anshul, caught wind of this week. But T-Mobile announced that it is the first to offer 5G network splicing beta resources to application developers. And network splicing is something that you and I have talked about for years on this podcast. And you have to have 5G standalone to do it. T-Mobile has the first 5G standalone network in the world. Others are following. This is, from my perspective, potentially very disruptive because it's going to give developers a test bed to develop next generation applications. And just for a recap on what network slicing is, it's a way to basically take a virtual slice of the physical network and fine tune things like throughput and latency, lots about device support to really align it to a specific application. So it's a big deal. I laid it out there, but why don't you jump in and provide some insights to our listeners and viewers? So this announcement specifically is one in the announcement of their beta program, but also that they have a 5G network slice specifically for video already in place. And they're already working with Dialpad, Google, WebEx by Cisco, Zoom, and others to create this video calling application layer. It's going to be one of many, I believe. But I think what will happen is this will create a specific layer in their network where you can be guaranteed a certain layer of the network for a certain amount of service. It will potentially solve a lot of the problems that we're having with doing Zoom while you're on 5G. And it could actually be a huge boost for things like video calling, which a lot of people already are doing quite a bit of. But when you look at where it's happening, it's almost entirely happening at home because so many cellular networks really don't do a very good job of handling that video traffic mostly because it's real-time video traffic and it's bi-directional. And there are certain things that are necessary to make that traffic work well. And, you know, when someone's on a 5G connection or even a 4G connection, you can already tell that they're no longer on Wi-Fi. So I think video is a great first place to start. I think we're going to see a lot of progress happen there quickly and they're going to move on to new applications. And we'll see maybe more developers taking advantage of this and maybe doing uh, another layer for holographic collaboration, next, next level video collaboration. But I think this is a big deal. And obviously, T-Mobile, as the world leader in 5G, I, I think it's no surprise they're the first ones to really do this. Yeah. And what I like about this is that it builds on its developer program that it's announced. It's been about a year now. And so they're providing tools. They're providing access through their experience centers. And their, their competitors, AT&T and Verizon in the U.S., offer similar test beds, lab resources, and that sort of thing. But just the sort of follows on and builds upon what it's already announced to support the developer community. And we've seen some really innovative applications come out of T-Mobile's think tank, if you want to call that. We've talked about Peno AI and early detection of the firefights. And just in Bastrop, where I'm living now, we had our first wildfire of the season. And it's concerning. Being able to lean into things like AI and 5G and edge computing is very compelling. And so I give props to T-Mobile for providing this network slicing uh, beta resource to, to drive innovation. 
But let's move to your first topic and Qualcomm reported earnings, not the best today, uh, but you also want to talk about more Huawei 5G rumors. Yeah. So they reported earnings. They said that they had revenues of about 72.2 billion with a murky EPS of $1.60. Sorry, I'll say their total revenues were 8.5 and then EPS is $1.60. All that's midpoint guidance, so they didn't beat anything. They don't really feel like they necessarily missed on anything. But what really happened is that they saw their revenue drop 23% and they saw their earnings before taxes drop 38%. And then mm-hmm. EPS dropped 37%. A lot of this happened in the previous quarter. So we already saw the smartphone slump happen in Q2, in fiscal Q2, whatever. But basically, their fiscal quarters are completely unaligned from the calendar year. So they're actually reporting Q3, FY23 numbers for yeah. Q2. And then they also showed chip revenue was down 24%. Earnings were down 42% for their chip business. Revenue in QTL, which is our licensing business, was down 19%. And their earnings before taxes were down 25% in there as well. And I have a feeling that their reduction in their licensing may be coming somewhat from no Huawei licensing revenue Mm -hmm. or a reduction in Huawei licensing revenue because there's a rumor that Huawei might be going on their own with 5G again. Interestingly, automotive was up 15 or automotive was up. 13%. 13%. So it's a bright spot in their earnings. Yeah. But overall, it was really interesting because they were saying how they believe that some of these figures will improve as Apple launches a new device and they will still have pretty good market share within Apple. They didn't make it clear that they'll have complete market share. So there might be something going on there. But yeah. really, the Huawei one is really interesting to me because it may be validating the rumor that Huawei may be going out and doing their own 5G modem. I've seen some stories saying that they might be using SMIC or SMIC. For that, a 7 nanometer DUV, not DUV, but that process may not actually be mature enough to actually supply Huawei. So who knows? But it does sound like the Huawei rumor may be getting a little bit more legit and that Qualcomm is getting hit pretty heavily by the uh, slump in China as well. The interesting thing is MediaTek's earnings were also pretty bad, but they didn't get hit as badly as Qualcomm. And there were some people on the call asking, why is MediaTek going down 8% sequentially? And- 50% year over year, but overall, both companies are getting pretty hard because the smartphone industry is slowing down and China's recovery isn't coming as quickly as it is in, say, the U.S. or other markets. That's interesting on the rumors around Huawei and they're doing a 5G modem. And I, I didn't, I haven't picked up on that, but from your perspective, is this Huawei taking their designs from high silicon to a contract manufacturer in China? Or is this Huawei doing their own silicon ground up? I, I, I would expect it's going to be still high silicon. Yeah, that's what I would think as well. So that's interesting. And so what could be in play here is a reverse. A lot of the Chinese infrastructure companies and Huawei in particular have been entity listed. And, and so now that's beginning to materialize in the form of lower earnings for both Qualcomm and MediaTek that really lead the charge with respect to 5G modems and devices, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Let's move to my second topic. And I want to talk about AT&T. And so we've talked about Redcap, which is 500 days. 
capacity. Pardon me. That was my Bluetooth speaker. But but AT&T conducted its first 5G IoT data call with 5G reduced capacity. And at a high level, the details around this are, this was done in the field on a live 5G standalone network. Obviously, AT&T is still in the midst of deploying 5G standalone on a more broad basis. But where REDCap really fits in is straddling the position between very high capacity performance on 5G networks and very low capacity and low power like a LoRaWAN for IoT. And this tweener capability might present some very interesting use cases for edge-connected devices um, in IoT in particular. But I don't know if you caught the news. What do you think? I did catch the news. For some people, 5G RedCap is synonymous with NR Lite. They're mutable terms. NR Lite it is, it was the old term I think a lot of people were using. But what I'm curious about is what devices they were using. It looks like they were using MediaTek, most likely for the modem side. And Nokia probably provided some of the network capabilities. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like it's on the MediaTek red cap. So it's interesting that they have sit on a MediaTek platform and not a Qualcomm platform. Yeah. But that's, I think that bodes really well for MediaTek in terms of what their red cap capabilities are, because they weren't the first to announce a product, but they're clearly operating within real network live trials. So I think that's great news for MediaTek. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this develops long-term because it's very much an IoT play. And I think that's important for people to understand that REDCap is great for enabling low-cost, low-data rate applications for 5G that might still benefit from latency. Yeah, and the benefit there is not having a bifurcated networking strategy. So today, LoRaWAN is actually doing quite well. I read some news, although I don't have a topic prepared on LoRaWAN today, but they're seeing some market acceptance in Europe and that sort of thing. LoRaWAN, as a standard, has been out for several years. It's finally beginning to catch some steam, and there's some some applications that are very sustainability-focused around monitoring things that are related to like water quality and that sort of thing. but the challenge there is that it's a different network protocol. 5G, one of its superpowers is massive device support. And so I think 5G red cap or 5G reduced capacity or in our light to your point provides an opportunity to manage things in a similar domain. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how kind of things turn out from this regard. But you mentioned Nokia. So that's a nice segue to your second topic. And I Actually tuned into the live cast today. It was at 12.30 Central, so that would have been 10.30 West Coast time for you. And Pekka, their CEO, was there, along with, I believe, Kamala Harris, our vice president. And they were talking about basically a new venture that's going to allow Nokia to manufacture fiber optic networking electronics within the United States. So I'm going to let you do that. So Nokia's partnering with ODM Sanmina, and they are... Basically taking some of this bead funding, which is a $42 billion program for manufacturing broadband equipment in the U.S. And my understanding is they'll be manufacturing electronics and modules for broadband fiber technology, which most likely will be used in U.S. government facilities, as well as within the U.S. in places where they might be doing rip and replace. So it'll be really interesting to see how this builds out and how it affects cost profiles. But hopefully this subsidization of this facility in, I believe is Indiana, 
Will Wisconsin. Will Wisconsin. I saw a different thing for Indiana. So Wisconsin, and I think obviously bringing jobs to Wisconsin as well. It was yeah. probably the Kamala Harris angle there. Right. I think we're seeing more and more companies being incentivized to come back, manufacture in the U.S., keep jobs here. I'll be honest with you. I don't really think jobs are actually the primary goal because any modern manufacturing facility in the U.S., can be operated with considerably less human beings than Highly automated. it was five or 10 years ago. And that's the only way to make those things profitable. So I think it's less about jobs, it's more about supply chain and guaranteed secure supply chain for these yep. things. Obviously jobs will be created and there's a supply chain involved with that. And usually when a manufacturing facility gets spun up, they, the suppliers usually come into town to keep them supplied. So hopefully that brings more jobs in a, in an maybe in a more orthogonal way, but hopefully this is a net positive for Nokia and the rest of the industry. Yeah, so I agree with you. So I think this is less about job creation and more about supply chain, domesticating the 5G supply chain so that the U.S. is not reliant on even European companies, just like Nokia. And so Nokia partnering with Samnia domesticates the fiber optic components that are basically the building blocks for backhaul for mobile networks. So I think this is a domesticate the supply chain thing. This is buy in the USA. And that's one of the requirements of this bead funding, this huge pot of money. There are stipulations that a lot of the supply chain has to be domesticated here. So I think Nokia is wise to make this investment. Certainly it's going to require a lot of investment and resources on their part to do this in the United States. But I think in the long term, it can it could pay huge dividends for the company. And they are, Nokia is recasting itself as an enterprise service provider and, and certainly doing this and providing fiber optics and fiber electronic components domestically could be a big boom for them. So time I was just going to add, the Wall Street Journal says they're going to add 200 jobs to the state of Wisconsin and they would expect production to start or products are expected to start in 2024. Yeah, so it's definitely next year. And yeah, so that that really validates our point. This is more about supply chain efficiencies and adjacencies than it is job creation. But it's good for the state of Wisconsin. When you look at the Rust Belt, when you look at that part of the country, we need to bring more high tech there. And certainly companies like Intel opening fabs in the Midwest are helping to that, to that end. But let's go to my third and final topic this week. And I want to talk about Rakuten and Rakuten's company in particular. They signed an ORAN deal with a Ukrainian operator, and this is all aimed at rebuilding critical telecommunications infrastructure with 5G in Ukraine. I found it interesting. So the mobile network operator is Gion. Yep. And this is going to employ Open LAN and something taking its learnings from its deployment in the Japanese market with ORAN and disaggregated infrastructure to, to set that up. 5G networks very quickly and very cost-effectively. And I've been on the fence about Rakuten's company. Here's a mobile network operator that spun off all of its learnings from its bloodied nose in the Japanese market to help other mobile network operators stand up open RAN deployments. And hey, this is a validation that Symphony is hitting. And, and certainly this isn't the first win that Symphony has registered, but this is part of a $600 million project to build, to rebuild Ukraine's critical infrastructure when it comes to telecommunications. And 
when you look at the average cost of deploying a 5G network, but then the billions of US dollars or euros, that might not seem a lot of like a lot of money, but it's a critical start. And getting Ukraine back on the grid is going to be critical in its efforts to rebuild itself in the wake of what Russia has done there. But I'm sure you saw the news and I'm sure you've got some opinions to weigh in on here. Yeah, I think it's a good thing for both the Ukrainians and for Rakuten because Ukraine's infrastructure isn't really in the greatest state right now due to all the hags and invasion. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to modernize their infrastructure in a way that is flexible and gives them room for expansion. And I think that this might be another one of those blessings in disguise where Ukraine rips out equipment from other vendors that maybe wouldn't be very friendly to Western companies and Western business and may now be able to service more Western companies to come into Ukraine and offer their services, applications, and help the company country grow. A good example of that is actually the railroads in Ukraine. They were previously built with Soviet standards to basically match what Russia has. And by Russia destroying all of the rail or so much of the country's rail, they're going to be forced to replace a lot of it. And then they're probably not going to be replacing it to the Russian standards. It's going to be really interesting to see how um, Ukraine's infrastructure gets recast as a result of this war and where those where that funding comes from, obviously. War's not over yet, I think, mm. But yeah. there's, they're clearly not wasting any time trying to modernize the con- company or country's infrastructure to maximize its rebound. Yeah, and you can argue because I have a good friend that was living in Kiev before the, uh, the invasion started and the infrastructure was not, not up to snuff, to your point. It was based on Russian standards. And so there's been a lot of news lately about all of the armament that the West has been sending its way in its defense against Russia. But this is an opportunity for Ukraine to really up-level its, its telecommunications infrastructure and to modern, to modern times. And as we have witnessed over the years, ubiquitous access to the internet provides opportunities for digital inclusion, sustainability, economic prosperity. And this could really help Ukraine rebuild very quickly. Versus just sending them a check, which I think they've been on the receiving end of a lot of funds, but bringing experts in here, Rakuten has significant experience in building these highly disaggregated CapEx and OpEx optimized networks. And so I think it's a great fit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and we'll, we can continue to monitor this and bring this back on future podcast episodes. But let's go to your third and final topic. You want to talk about GoGo? And they provide internet connectivity while we are all in the air. And it sounds like they pushed their 5G launch back yet again, right? Yeah. So basically what's happened is somehow, yet again, there has been a issue with how their 5G chipset was designed. If you recall, I look back, it was about six months ago, we talked about a delay due to a design flaw and their 5g modem and originally they were blame they were blaming i want to say samsung for the fabrication issue but yeah. now it says that they've announced another delay um due to a design error in a non-5g component of its chip 
which was designed by a third-party subcontractor of its 5G solution provider. Yeah, they are going to be forced to push it back to mid-2024. Wow. The last update we're supposed to get at the end of 2023. So this looks like another six months away. The really messed up part is, um, I didn't even realize this until I was reading one of the light reading articles by Mike Dano. It was in 2019, they announced it was going to be a 2021 project. So uh, we're going to be three years late to delivering wow. 5G due to a multitude of issues, including multiple chip problems. So don't ever say you can just build a chip and it'll work great. I have a feeling that if they went with a commodity product, it would have cost them more, but they probably would have been in market earlier. Yeah. I have taken a 20% hit to their stock. But this, the good thing is they've also announced a much smoother upgrade path for business jets and other airliners. Yeah. So quickly upgrade their equipment to a 5G capable box um, for a meager $150,000. But the interesting thing is this service at its best will offer a 75 to 80 megabit experience with an average of 25 megabits. And then there are also going to be offering a low earth orbit solution in 2024 as well um, that will pair with this for international yeah. travel. Um, right. So we're going to see some really interesting stuff coming from GoGo in the aviation space in 2024 if they don't have any more delays. Yeah, so I think I think Leo, they may have to scrap the whole roadmap there within GoGo because just to let our viewers and listeners know, I will be publishing an update to my first article in mid-June around low-Earth orbit satellite and the space race there. So there's some promising details coming. I can't share that at this point, but likely by mid-next week, we'll, I will be talking about this on our next podcast. But I think Leo is definitely in the future when you think about distance and latency and throughput and 20, 25 down, it's just not usable. And I've never been happy with the GoGo service when I decide to pay for it on flight. So things need to change there, just like airport connectivity. But I know that's an area that companies like AT&T are working on, like at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. But I acquiesce way too much. But another great podcast, my friend, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific FG topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tomtech at Amit on Show Sod. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in next week and don't forget to rate us and subscribe.